2 Samuel is where we're going to be tonight, 2 Samuel. Been doing a, of course we've been involved in a Bible study series on family dynamics and uh, just going through the family and there's 52 lessons uh, that have to do with the family dynamics that we're going through. When I began to uh, put together the, the lessons for this series, um, of course everything that, that does involve um, the family, I find it very interesting that God uh, truly took our church to the point to where the young people would be out of the auditorium and, and for the most part they would be in their own classes and then we all would be here together. For the next two weeks, three weeks possibly, we're going to talk about the subject of grooming. It is a subject that I think that pastors need to teach on. I think it is something that the church needs to be aware of. Uh, it is a fact in our society. It just is. It just is. And I think the, the, the most precious commodity you have are your children and your grandchildren. And there is something on the inside of all of us that we would die for our children, that we would kill for our children, but that thing that really, it just tanks us as if we knew that something had happened to our children. So we're going to take the next couple of weeks, and I am going to be very serious, and I am going to be very pointed. We are going to look at the Word of God and what God's Word says about this kind of behavior. And as a church, and I'm just going to step out, the Independent Baptist uh, is, some people want to say it's a movement, it may be, um, but it, the Independent Baptist, Independent Fundamental Baptist, IFB is what our initials are. Um, my opinion, the name Baptist stands on its own. It doesn't need any adjectives. When you say Baptist, that's exactly what it is. And let everybody else define it. But I am a Baptist. I'm autonomous. Uh, we're, not a, we're not associated with a hierarchy. But I do believe that it is the pastor's job to make sure that the church that is functioning is functioning on a level. That there is absolute honesty. That there is absolute transparency. And that there is a voice that says there is certain behavior that will not be tolerated. And there are certain things that will not be covered up. And that is all there is to it. I have four grandchildren uh, that run around here. And when I turned the corner tonight, three of them reached up and hugged me and attacked me. And, you know, I got one that's in the nursery. He doesn't know I exist yet. But as soon as he finds out, and I don't want them running around in a structure and or a society of a church and its many programs and its many uh, facets without there being a clear understanding of what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, and what will get you kicked out of the church. Period, end of sentence. So... We're going to talk tonight on this grooming, the M.O. of a predator. Grooming, the M.O. of a predator. Let me start with some statements that these, these next two lessons are going to be, um, they'll hit home, they'll hit closer to some people uh, than others. Uh, there will be some that 
are on this side of having been groomed by a predator and having been blinded by a predator and then being involved in and the result of things happening. There will be those that as I'm going through and I'm describing biblically what this looks like, it's going to dawn on you, my family's being groomed. At that point, I would ask you uh, that I think you need to reach out and, and come see pastor or go see somebody and say, whoa, time out, time out. That hit too close to home. The next thing that I will tell you is that there must be a change of church culture that would allow this to go on. Um, and I don't know. i got to be honest with you. I don't know of any of my peers. I don't know of any of my fellow brothers that are pastoring on this brotherhood that have yet stepped up and publicly made a statement. Um, but I feel like that it is now that your pastor needs to step up, go on record. Uh, this is what the Bible says about such things. There are those that you have been the victim of a predator. Maybe not in this auditorium, but maybe somebody who will be listening to this. And my goal is not to resurrect anything. It's not to resurrect anything. My goal is to bring to light the behavior those signs, what it's like, and that others will not have to go through what some have gone through. My last group are those that may be a predator. May you feel very uncomfortable, and may you feel the need to find another church. Make no bones about that one. When I, about 11 years ago, I was involved in a situation to where um, a couple of things had taken place, and then somebody came to me and said, uh, hey, a probation officer would like to see you. Not my probation officer, because I didn't have one. <clears throat> so I took a trek downtown and um, across the street from McDonald's is uh, the juvenile detention center on Highway 80. Well, in there houses probation officers for juveniles. So I happened to have to, to go down there, and I walked in, and, and uh, we were done talking about what we needed to talk about concerning a juvenile. And, uh, and the probation officer was asking me some questions and, and our programs here. And then he said, hey, pastor, can I talk to you real quick? And I said, Sure. He said, would you be willing to be responsible for an offender? And I said, uh, I, I know nothing about this, so I really can't tell you what all this involves. Then they said, would you be willing to go to a class? It's a three-week class about offenders uh, to where you can become certified in the state of Texas to become an adult chaperone or an adult um, accountability person that whenever there is a society and a group together, if this offender needed you to be there to be this person that's certified to make sure, and I said, well, 
I think I would have to go through the class, go through the training, and then I can let you know. So I took the time to go through. Um, I was raised in a Christian home. There are a lot of things that I thought I knew. But I was not prepared. Was not prepared for that course that I went through. And, uh, and so all these years, what I'm going to teach you tonight is somewhat of what I learned in those courses. Over the next couple of weeks, it will be what we discussed in those rooms that were just, um, and, and by the way, I'm not going to get graphic at all. I will not, that's not even my style to cross lines. But I will tell you that it is very important if you have children and if you have grandchildren, that you have your third eye and your sixth sense where it needs to be. And please listen to the statement. Nobody gets a free pass. Nobody gets a free pass. Grooming is befriending and establishing an emotional connection with a family to lower inhibitions with the sole purpose of abuse. I'm going to say that again. Grooming is befriending and establishing emotional connection with the family to lower inhibitions with the objective of abuse. One of the things that's very difficult, we're going to go to the book and we're going to, we're going to look at what the Bible says. One of the things that's very difficult about this is, is that you cannot be suspect of your friends around you. Okay, because the true definition of friends is we're friends. I mean, come on now. Our kids play together. They grow up together. But no matter how close we are as friends, there are boundaries. That has to be established very clearly. And it needs to be understood. We are friends. Oh, but there are boundaries. And you must be committed to that. Grooming is simply the predator's way of lowering the defense system of parents and a family. And this literally takes a long time to do. And, and sometimes we don't even realize that the word predator, its very prefix, prey, is exactly what it is. It is the hunting down of a prey. Not everybody who's friends in your family, to your family, that this is them. But I will tell you, this is the portal that predators walk through. If a total stranger walked up, and tried to do anything, you would recognize them as, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. So I think that we really, we've got to go on the, on, on the offensive. You see those kids that left this auditorium? They're too precious to take a chance. And we have to become committed. And again, everything I'm going to give you is not for the sake of you, you suspect. Since I took that course, um, for, for, for a couple of weeks after I took it, 
it, I, I was struggling, one, with the information that I received that I felt like did, did not help me as a believer. But it was, rea- it was a world I did not know existed in its depravity. But the second thing was, is I truly had to sift through the information to come up with a baseline of acceptable behavior and what is not acceptable at all. And so let me walk you through it. There is a vital issue that we have to get ahead of and we have to make sure that everybody that attends Emmanuel Baptist, that we understand that this is the right and wrong of the issue. It has nothing to do with personality. Let me start out by telling you Lady Justice. How many know what Lady Justice looks like? She's what, please? And she has what in her hands, please? Because she does not judge based on influence, personality. She judges based on the weight of the matter. I truly believe, and this was not part of the training, but they did ask us to give back feedback to this group of what would you add to this course? So they got around to me and I stood up and I said, um, well, I've been listening and filtering through and I think that they're, outside of the victim, I think there's additional victims that come anytime a predator strikes. I think the, and these are not in order of importance at all, but they are the other victims. I think the other victims of a predator on their way to the target they lay, leave in their wake, if you will. I think there's parents. They are two victims of a predator. A predator grooms parents into a false sense of family. As a result of this pseudo-trust, they are given grazing rights, and, they are, and their behavior is classified as family. And I think that once they wake up and realize what has happened, then I think there are parents that although their children were the prey, that they too are the victims. I think leaders are victims. I think a predator grooms organizations and they groom leaders like myself. They groom leaders like pastors. They groom leaders like principals, like coaches. Any, any society, any organization that has a structure that young people are given to, like right now, your children are in that room over there, they are in that room up there, they are in these classes right over here, and there are leaders that you have entrusted your children to that they are right now becoming an influence. Anytime you have a structure that predators groom organizations and put themselves in positions of trust through a false sense of integrity. And as a result, then these mid-managers are given total authority to develop and implement programs without accountability and without being challenged. And predators who make their way into leadership always think they're the exception to the rule. And let me pause and just say this. Anytime a leader thinks they're the exception to the rule, myself included, 
is the day that they need to lose their job. Right away. So, and again, you can't look at every leader that this is a predator. You can't look at every parent as this is bad parenting. I think society, society has become a victim. And there are segments of our society and there are genres of our society that carry a, a burden in the aftermath. They carry a blight. They carry a bad reputation because they can be looked upon, well, you're cultivating and condoning an atmosphere of abuse. When in reality, there's always a core of honest and moral people who do not tolerate this and would not tolerate it if they knew. And society, these societies have been, have been given a bad reputation because of out-of-control people, but at the core of every family and at the core of every society and organization, there are good people like I'm looking at right now that if we knew, oh, no, oh, oh no, no, no. Somebody go get the rail, somebody go get the tar and feathers, somebody get the shotgun, oh, no, we will run you out. And that's why pastors lose their job, and rightfully so. Judicial systems. Many times the judicial system becomes a victim, not the victim, but a victim, due to the manipulation by the predator because he puts on the air of harmlessness in the public eye. Innocent until proven guilty has allowed many predators not to feel the full weight of the law. And the reason is, is because on their way to the offense, they not only harmed the body of the victim, but they scared the heart, the mind, and the soul of the victim with an invalid fear of shame and consequence if they revealed in detail the abuse. So they only reveal enough. They only reveal enough for the judicial system to act. Lady Justice is ready to prosecute to the fullest extent when the victim's when 100% of the victims disclose 100% of the facts. I am convinced. After being involved in turning people in, that if 100% of the victims revealed 100% of the facts, then 100% of the predators would spend 100% of their lifetime 100% behind jail, behind, in prison. But it, it's conditioned. What will society think about me? I don't want people disappointed in me. Then you come to the victim themselves. Parents, leaders, societies, where you are indirect and I am indirect victims, there's no doubt the true victim is the person who was preyed upon by the predator. It should be no shock there is a distrust and a disconnect toward parents, leaders, societies, and judicial systems to, due to the inward belief that each of these played a part in giving the predator opportunities and means to offend with no to little consequence. As they get older, they then realize the people that did not know. And they realize that if they did know, they would have stepped up and done something about it. Victims who are parents with children make 
the greatest parents. There is a keen sense of awareness in this protective force and fence they put around their children. And they probably are the parents who are the most aware of the danger. I want you to take your Bibles and let's look biblically at how a predator moves. Believe it or not, God gives us his word to give us insight. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 13. Now, y'all know, I, please know this. This is kind of heavy stuff, but would we not agree our grandchildren, our children are so worth this discussion? And I just want to go on record as a pastor saying, it, it, it may, it may, it may happen, but not because we didn't stand up, we didn't get vocal about it, and everybody got on board. Let's look what the Bible says. 2 Samuel chapter 13 And you have here a story about Amnon. Of course, it's a horrific story, and uh, and it's not one that, uh, let me back up. I praise God that um, innocence protects you from the true story and the true narrative. I've read the story a thousand times growing up, but it's not until you start experiencing life. And it really wasn't until I went through the course and I understood some things that all of a sudden stories like this became a footprint. 2 Samuel 13, 1, it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. That's the victim. And Amnon, that's the predator, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. So we're going to stop and we're going to go through some elements of what grooming is. And I want you to pay attention because here you're going to get insight. This is where you can biblically look through the glasses of the Bible and you can go, okay, I'm, going to start, I'm starting to understand some things. So let me give you the very first element. The very first thing is we must define the word love because he used the word love here and it said here um, uh, at the end of verse 1, and Amnon the son of David, what? Loved her. Now, the first thing we have to kind of define is this, is that Love is defined by respect. That's what it's defined by. You you can't use the word love. The proof of the kind of affection came out in the actions. And if I were, and I wrote a a, a phrase down here, and that was this. Amnon's words did not define his love. Amnon's actions defined his lust. Amnon had an issue. Amnon had a problem. But he kept the word love. Let me tell you something. When you use that word love, and when somebody says, well, you know, I just love your family. If there is not a respect for the family, then please don't use the word love. Find a different word. And you need to stop letting people use that word when they talk about your family if they have disrespected. Because your children don't know the difference in that word. You see, they hear you say, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. But when somebody else, oh, I love your family. Sir, no, you don't. Not if you've disrespected my family. Please choose another word. So that's, so in First, Second Samuel 13, 1, and everything I'm talking tonight is going to be transcribed. I'm going to put it into a little booklet. These next couple of lessons, I'm going to give it to you all. So if you would, just kind of absorb 
what I'm saying. The first element I find here is we first have to define love. If there is no respect, then you cannot use the word love. Look at verse number two. Now you find the mental process of this predator. Look at 2 Samuel 13, 2. And Amnon was so, what, was the, what does this say, please? Was so vexed that he fell, what? Sick for his sister, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it, what? Hard for him to do anything. There are two words, one phrase here, that now we're going to get into the mind. We're going to get into this mind. This mind of this perverse person called Amnon. The word vexed is the very first word that it says. The word vexed says this. It is the narrowing, and this is what it means. It means that I am so consumed with that microphone, if I could use that, that now I'm vexed. I'm so troubled and consumed with that, that now I've narrowed down. Now, they may do this in their mind when it comes to a minor. And by the way, it's a very sloth-moving that a predator does. A predator moves, then stops. A predator moves, then stops. They told us in grooming, in this grooming adult chaperone class, if you want to get the greatest, the greatest illustration of a predator, go watch documentaries on snipers. So I took and watched a documentary on snipers. I was shocked at how they're trained. Move, and then they sit. Move, and then they sit. Now, see, I got to be honest with you. Sitting here right now, you would think this would be the craziest place to talk about something like this. This is the right place to talk about something like this. And you may be sitting here saying, no. But I have friends, and there are people all over this nation that they could tell you stories that would shock you and I. I think this is the right place. They narrow. Then the word sick. What the word sick means is the process of over and over and over and over with this tunneling until it creates this sickness on the inside. In other words, they narrow in on it, they focus in on it, and then they do it so many times that they, that, that's all they, they get tunnel vision. That's all they can see. Then... Hard, look what it says, hard for him to do what? Anything. Here's the problem with predators. The problem is this. It is so in their mind and in their heart, but they can't find a clear path to get it done. That's what Amnon was saying. What Amnon was saying was, what the Bible was saying about Amnon was, is here is he, it's not love, this is disrespect that he has in his heart toward Tamar, but it was over and over and over again that all of a sudden, but there's one thing stopping him, he couldn't find that clear path. He couldn't find an inroad into Tamar's world. He just didn't know how to get in there. So the more you study this, the more we understand that this first element or this mode of operation that this, this person uses, this mode of operation is this, is that it's consuming in them, but then all of a sudden it is like, no, 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 I'm going to do this under the guise of I love. Hey, let me tell you something. I'll save that for a couple moments from here. So there's vexed, there's sick, and then it was hard. Now look at verse number three. But Amnon had a what? whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very, uh-oh, here it is. What is that word, please? 
Do you know that here you have love, which was really lust, you have this over and over and again to renounce a sickness, and, that, and it, it, it's, just, it's just yes. And then all of a sudden, he said, but I cannot find a way to get into Tamar's world. How do I get in? Now you have Jonadab. The Bible says that he was a very subtle man. Subtle means this, intelligent, artful, skillful. Where Amnon had the passion, Jonadab had the mind. Once these two meet, now the plan. So Amnon's friend was not a dumb man. He was a smart man. Many times a predator will claim they did not realize nor did they plan for anything to happen. Listen to this. That's not true. That is not true. In our story, Jonadab was the mind behind the madness of Amnon. So is the mind of a predator. Amnon is the predator. Joab was the mind. Would you please go to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12? In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, in light of that, I want to show you this. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. Would you look at the wording because it tells us, gives us insight to what goes on. For the word of God is quick and powerful, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and what, please? Spirit. And of the joint and marrow. Uh-oh. And is a discerner of the thoughts and what, please? Of the heart. You've just seen Amnon and, and Jonadab. You see, the, in, in, in this verse, and then I want you to, to go back, if you will, here in just a moment. But you have the thoughts and the intents. The intense is Amnon saying, I want to do this. I intend this path, but I don't know how to get that done. The thoughts is the mind that gives a clear path of how to get this done. And so you have that. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 13. So now you have this. So, so far we found out that it wasn't love, it was lust, and that love is only defined by respect. There was no respect. Then we found out that this mental process was this vexing, this sick, and then hard. So it started, it, it started growing on the inside of Amnon, but he couldn't find out how to get this done. Now comes in the friend who now is the mind. So now look at verse number four. And here was the grooming of the parent. Look at verse four. And he said unto him, why art thou being the king's son lean from day to day? 2 Samuel 13, 4. Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Who did he just introduce into the narrative? Absalom. Remember that because it's going to come back up. And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down on thy bed, make thyself sick, and when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat and dress the meat in my sight that I may see it and eat it at her hand. So Amnon laid down and made himself sick. 
And when the king came, what king was come to see him, Amnon said unto the king, I pray thee, let Tamar, my sister, come. Make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat at her, at her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go now to thy brother Amnon's house and dress him meat. David had no idea. Y'all listen to this. David had no idea. And I hope you're getting just as sick to your stomach reading this story as I am teaching on Amnon, Jonadab, the grooming of the parent went this way. There had to be a false reason to have a household interaction. There just had to be this false reason. And then all of a sudden, there had to be a need portrayed to the parent that only Tamar could fill. Please be careful that you absolutely are not allowing people to take your child and create this need. And then all of a sudden, they had to have mom and dad's okay for Tamar to go. I don't know anything about your worlds. I don't know that. And I'm not saying people that go, man, you got a great kid. You got a great kid. Thank you. I mean, this kid's great. Thank you. Would you mind if they came over to the house? No, that's okay. But thank you for asking. Listen, there has to be clear boundaries. And I know right now that this doesn't set well because you were raised in the 60s and 70s when you got on your bike and you rode around and nobody ever cared. But even back then, I wonder how many people were had themselves into an issue. You're going to have to understand that anytime somebody, a friend or not a friend, is creating a reason to come to your house in your world, there has to be boundaries set up. You're going to find out that the grooming and violating of this victim, if you'll go to verse number 8, 2 Samuel 13 and verse number 8, look, look, at, look at it. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was laid down, and she took flour, kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and did bake the cakes. I'm not going to take time to read the rest of it. This grooming of the parent created a false narrative. Now you have the grooming of, of Tamar. This grooming of Tamar in verse number 8 and 9, he created a helplessness, okay? So he created this helplessness that all of a sudden pinged the very nature of the victim. Every victim I've ever known has a set of gifts that God has given them. There's a set of, of qualities, and it is amazing that every victim and every, every situation that, that, that I've been involved in that has been turned over to the police, when it was finally said and done, the predator knew what the victim was all about, and this was the it. I truly believe that Tamar was a domestic girl that knew the kitchen well. She knew servitude well. She knew how to take care of the sick. And so he created the right thing and gave these responsibles, these, these, these responsibilities. Then I find this also very interesting. Drop down to verse
Oh, verse number nine. I'm so sorry. And she took a pan and poured them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, look at this, have out all men from me. Do you see that? He had the power to create alone time. That this power to create alone time. And I think that a lot of things is said for that power, and you just have to, to, to look at it. Then Amnon requested and was rejected. So here you have this grooming. I need you to do this. Oh, by the way, we need to be alone to do this. And this is the perfect, perfect setup. Perfect setup. And then look at, at if you will, let's go through a series. Look at verse number 15. After it was all said and done, and I'm being very generic, y'all. After it was all said and done, you're going to find out that the relationship changed that he had toward Tamar in the beginning. Look at verse 15. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was what? Greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Amnon said unto her, Arise what? Be gone. Hold it. Time out. Why did did things change? So as parents, I'm trying to give you biblically how that you must understand that you have to be aware that this grooming starts with false. There, there's this, this false love. Then all of a sudden a situation is created. And then it's, then it's a numbing and dumbing down. And then all of a sudden this is put in with a parent's supposedly stamp of approval. And David had no idea. And then if you'll look at this, look at verse 17. Then he called unto his servant, put now out this woman from me, both the door. Now look at verse 19. And Tamar put, and I alluded to this Sunday, and Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garments of diverse colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went on what? When the personality of your child changes, somebody better step up and say, sit down. You left us a happy kid. You have come back to us an unhappy kid. What is going on? But you know, there's two ending things I I want to give you. Look at verse 20. So let's read verse 19 in light of verse 20. And Tamar put ashes on her head, so she was violated, and rent her garments of diverse colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went on crying. And Absalom, her brother, said unto her, where you been today? Is that what he said? Uh-uh. What did he say? Hath Amnon, my brother, thy brother been with thee? Remember, Absalom's name was brought back up here for a reason. There was suspicion. Absalom already knew. There was this suspicion. Because when he saw Tamar, he said, has Amnon, Amnon been around you? And, and here, only the beauty, only the beauty of a brother. Look at it. Verse 20. And Absalom, her brother, said unto her, hath Amnon thy brother been with thee? He wouldn't let her answer. But behold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. 
We're going to get into the justice. We're going to get into all of this. The next lesson is where this is the M.O. of a predator. The next lesson is the no, N.O. of a predator. What do you do? What do you do when you have a suspicion? What do you do when something's not sitting right? When do you act? When do you move? How do you do this without offending anybody? The answer to that question is, you don't care who you offend. The wicked flee when no man pursueth. Hey, let me tell you something. There are perfect storms that are created that if somebody steps up and says, whoa, time out. I don't know if you know what this looks like. But hey, this doesn't look good. The moment somebody starts, oh, I don't know, what you, why are you accusing, why are you, hold it. The wicked flee when no man pursueth. But somebody that is on the up and up, you know what they say? Oh, hold it, time out. I didn't know it looked that way. No, no, I, no, no, no. You don't have to worry about that again. A predator. But here is to me the biggest shame of it all. Look at verse 21. But when King David heard of all these things, the only thing he can do was be mad. He did nothing. Y'all, nothing. This is not right. It's not right. It's just not right. I'm coming to you as a church, and this is a part of the family dynamics part of it. But I want to end this particular lesson by telling you I would let this sink in. It'll come out on the podcast. We've been having difficulties um, with, our, with our live stream. So this is being recorded, but it's not live right now. I didn't know that till right before the service. And it's going to come out on the podcast, um, iTunes, Spotify, and um, there's one more platform. I'm not saying for this for you to go on a hunt, okay? I am telling you this to take a look at your family friends. I would give you a couple of things. Number one, spiritual leadership does not mean they are right. Do not give people a free pass because they carry a spiritual leadership title. That includes pastor. Did y'all hear that? I have one wife. I have one set of children. I've got a family. No. The second thing that I would tell you is, and I'll get into it the next week, is that if somebody tries to take a title in your family, if all of a sudden the children go, well, that's aunt so-and-so, and they're not an aunt. When people give family titles, stop it. Stop it. Just stop it. Now, there, there are people that, for whatever reason, um, a grandmother, a grandfather has been in this family for years, and they've proven themselves, okay? But, but understand, if they are your peers, and especially men that are not related, they are not uncles, they are not grandfathers, they're not your papa, 
and, and, I, and, and, and when I talk like this, I get a lot of grief. Well, there are family friends, and I trust them. Trust nobody. Y'all hear that? Trust nobody. And even inside family structures, there are things that are appropriate and things that are not appropriate. I, I want to praise my brother, and I would like to praise my brother-in-laws, Mark and Tim, because with Deanna, all these years growing up, they never put me in a position to where I had to address them. And the reason is because they were perfect gentlemen and they understood. I may be an uncle, but I do not have rights. I do not have rights. We're going to go into a lot of that. But please go back and read this story here because people, when they get something stuck in their head of this perverseness, then it's just a matter of time before their mind catches up to find a path. But let them find a path someplace else. If somebody makes a request for your child specifically, no, but thanks for asking. Now, again, you have work environments. We want our kids to grow up. But understand this, and I'm going to end with this. Your biggest defense is the Holy Spirit of God. You must walk with God. You must walk with God. We do not walk with God to get a sermon, and we do not walk with God to get a good lesson. We walk with God to be aware of the devil. The devil's smart. I have one minute. Let me end with this. Go to Luke, if you will. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, and verse number 1. Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. Okay? Let's talk about verse 1. Your children are going to learn things that will cause them to stumble in life. You did, I did. We came, up, we came upon something that was like, are you serious? That caused an offense or caused us to stumble in life because of knowledge we had. What do we do with this knowledge? I, I liken bad knowledge to a tent. And all of a sudden, the tent doors open and I take two steps into this tent and it's like, whoa, time out. What is this kind of stuff? And then it's like, no, that's okay. I don't want anything to do with this. All of us, we're going to stumble. But what you don't want to do, and look at the last verse, part of verse 1, but woe unto him through whom they come. And then it gives us insight a little bit deeper in verse number 2. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and cast into the sea than that he should what? Look at the context. It's not after. It is before. You see, sometimes it's like, no, 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 no. Let's take all the offenders and, and let's just, you know what the verse is actually saying? Look what it says here. It would be better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and cast in the sea than that he, what? Should. 
you, this verse I've had in my hip pocket, and I thought to myself many a times with my daughter growing up, would I be willing to sacrifice and take a millstone and hang it around somebody's neck and be done? Anathema, Maranatha. Anathema, Maranatha. First Corinthians, I think it is. Would I be willing to be done? I'm done. If I even thought something was about to happen. And the answer is absolutely. Absolutely. Do not feel bad about being a parent. And do not feel bad about acting upon suspicion. Better you act upon suspicion and see the whites of somebody's eyes. And they know. Whoa. That's why I respect the chain of command. I'm not going to analyze your kids. No youth worker has the right to analyze your kids and get into deep spiritual conversations. That's your job. I won't be calling your wives. Husbands, I'll call you. And you can take care of that. So there's a lot of things that go in keeping with how do we create a culture to where we're okay, to where we are okay. Now, please, don't, don't walk around. I don't, let's put it this way. I don't think we have to go on a hunt. I think we are aware, and that awareness is scary. It is scary. If there is a wolf in sheep's clothing among our church, then I do think we fight it at the family level. And I think it goes from there. Y'all listen to this. If there is somebody, then you do need to let me know. You do need to let me know for the sake of our children. No man has a right to isolate himself with a young lady anywhere in this property. And men, you need to walk up and say, sir, I don't know what you two are doing right now, but you need to go someplace, and girl, you need to find your mommy and your daddy. Like right now. No parking lot, no room, no, no place. And if you see somebody huddled up in the corner of a hallway, whoa, time out, time out. I don't know what's going on. And we got to get past this thing. Well, I don't want to make an enemy. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, my friend. How, how many understand what I'm saying? How many understand what I'm saying? Okay, okay. I love our children. Amen? And right now, those workers are probably tired of your children. So praise the Lord on that. Hey, thank you for your time. Thank you for your patience.